Open your Bibles, James 5. If you don't have a Bible, these fine fellows will give you one. Just raise your hand and say, I'm over here. And they'll give you one. James chapter 5. And uh, at Calvary Chapel, we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. And we sit for the word of the teacher. So please stand with me. We're going to pick up at verse 13 where we left off last week. And the passage reads, Is anyone among you suffering? (laughs) I heard a giggle. (laughs) Are all of us suffering? That would probably be a good way. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith, everyone say faith. Faith. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah, a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Lord, we're going through this passage and we see that it says, if anyone is suffering, let him pray. Anyone is cheerful, let him sing songs of praise. If anyone is sick, let him call for the elders. Lord, this is a responsibility you give us as individuals. And God, may we understand the power of prayer. Lord, may we understand what this calling is. Lord, why prayer? Lord, we're, we're speaking to someone we can't see. Lord, why giving? Why would we give to someone we don't see? Lord, why would we fast on behalf of someone we can't see? And yet, Lord, you declare that the prayer of faith will save the sick. Faith is is believing in things not seen. And your word says that without faith, it's impossible to please you. For he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So God, would you take this message and speak to every heart? Holy Spirit, you lead us into all truth. I pray that you do that today. Lord, you know the needs represented in this room and you know how this message will speak to them. And so Lord, we give you the glory and the honor and the praise. Bless now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Last week, we looked at the passage of Scripture at the beginning of James chapter 5, where it says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion is a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've, reaped up, or you've heaped up treasures for the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they cry out. And they've reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. And then it says, you've lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You've fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. And then he goes on to say, therefore be patient like the farmer. 
The Lord's coming soon. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. We're not to grumble against one another. But really the basic understanding is we start living for ourselves. And we think, well, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be full-time ministry. And um, I, I go to church on Sunday, but I got this, mass, this wealth amassed, and I'm going to hold off, and, and I'm going to keep it, and, and, and I'm going to transfer it to my children. And it just becomes, you know, moth-eaten and corroded. And, and as we go on with life, we hold back, you know, money for laborers. And let me, let me add that. It's not the people who work for you. It's the laborers in the fields of the Lord we hold back. God, God doesn't say give to him. He says return to him. We don't give God anything. It's all his. We return it to him. When we hold it back, it cries out. The reapers of the harvest field. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he send laborers. And we're holding back their, their fees to send them. Because we don't want to return to God, which is rightfully his, because we're more into the gold than we are to the one who created the gold. And we're rich and we weep and we howl for our miseries are coming upon us. And the Lord says that we're getting fat in our heart. Fat. That was a tough one this week. I'm fat. I, I, physically, I, I am. I, I went and had a physical and person said, this is the weight you're supposed to be at your height. And I'm like, really? I'm a lot larger than that. So I fast water only seven days. I lose 15.2 pounds and I'm still overweight. I'm still not in their category. I'm not sure what that category is or if I even agree with it. But I do know that when I was swimming competitively and I was the same height, I, I was under 200 pounds. And I know that that was healthy. And I, I want to live long on the earth. I want to be a blessing to my family. I don't, I don't want to worship my body as a temple, but I also want to buffet my body that it doesn't hinder the ministry. And, and, and let me just tell you what I've learned this week in fasting because God's spoken to me in a number of ways that I've been grateful for. Um, first of all, I, I started looking at Matthew 6. And in Matthew 6, Jesus is speaking. He said, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men. Everyone say charitable deeds. Uh, better yet, just say giving. That's what it is. Don't do your giving before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. He says, do it in secret. Do your giving in secret. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Don't let everyone know how you're giving. You return it to the Lord, and, and the, your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly in public. Your life will be blessed. He goes on to say, as, as Christians, he says, let me tell you of something else that's very important to the maturity of a Christian. It's not only giving or returning to the Lord. He says, and when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, on the corner of the streets, that they may be seen by men. No, he says, pray to your father who is in, secret, in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Don't use vain repetitions as a heathen do. And there are many words. Don't be like them. Your father knows the things you ha need. Ask him. And then he goes on to describe the Lord's prayer. And so we see everyone say giving. giving. Say prayer. prayer. And then Jesus goes on further in Matthew 6. And this is what spoke to me. He said, moreover, when you fast. Not if, when. Christians fast. Hello? 
We fast. When you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad, sad countenance and they disfigure their faces that they may appear to be fasting. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. He says, but do this in the secret place and your father who's in secret will reward you openly. And, and as I went through this and I saw this picture of giving, praying, and fasting. Giving, praying, fasting. Join me. Giving, praying, fasting. Giving, praying, fasting. One more time. Giving, praying, fasting. Well, giving, praying, fasting, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. The Lord spoke to me in this one. And some may say, well, that seems like a stretch, Pastor. I'm not sure if I buy that. But Ecclesiastes 4 says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I, I, I think we can have prayer, fellowship, the word of God. I think it could be husband, wife, and the Holy Spirit. But I think it can also be giving, praying, and fasting. That's a cord of three strands that will not allow the Christians, those who call on the name of the Lord, to lack the power of God to move in their community. And I, I think of this, I think... That's a threefold cord, giving, praying, fasting. Uh, another picture that I saw was in Matthew 13, the parable of the soil and the, and the sower of the seeds. And he's, he's a farmer. He's throwing seeds out. We find out in the parable that the seed is the word of God. He's throwing it out. He's throwing it out. It's, he's throwing it out. Some's landing on the hard ground right here where everyone walks. And, and as it lands, it doesn't even sink. And then the birds come down, eat it. And those are, that's the devil. And he just steals it. And the word never takes root in the heart of those people. He throws it over here in, in, into the shallow ground. And, and it, it, it's the first to sprout up because it's, you know, it's shallow ground. But as soon as it gets hot, it withers because the root system's not deep and has no water. And then there's some that landed in the area that had weeds. And then the weeds came up and choked it out. And the scripture goes on to declare that, that that's the cares of the world and, and riches. And it chokes out the life of a believer. They become fat and they, they give up the things of God for the things of the flesh. But then it says some of it fell on fertile ground. And then it goes on to say it produced a 30, 60, and 100-fold return. Say 30. 30. Say 60. 100-fold. So the 30 comes with giving. The 60 comes with giving and prayer. And the 100-fold comes with giving and fast, uh, prayer and fasting. You see that picture? That's how you change the community. You get on God's agenda, not yours. What is fasting? Fasting is denying yourself and aligning with the Lord. I got to tell you, I realized this week, I am all about me. I worship food. <laughs> King's stomach. No, I'm serious. King's stomach. I, I had to, I couldn't watch TV because if I saw a Pizza Hut commercial, I'm like, that's what I'm doing when I, I, I finish this. I'm, I'm doing that. Oh, no, I'm going to Burger King. Oh, no, no, no. I'm going to go to Chick-fil-A. Oh, no, I'm going to McDonald's. Oh, <laughs> But when I would turn off the television and I'd open up, I read 11 books this week. Now, don't clap for me. It was exhausting. <laughs> you know why? You don't sleep when you're fasting. And the dreams, they're warfare. You're praying and you're watching stuff happen and it's, it's intense. 
And as you're reading, it's like the words are jumping off the pages right into your heart. You're retaining everything. And your prayer time, you start to see God in a way. It, it, it's, it's what David said in Psalm 34. He said, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. The picture to me is, uh, we say that you can't see God. Well, for a long time, we said we couldn't see Adam's. You just have to magnify them. Fasting magnifies your understanding of God. You see him in ways you've never seen him before. It sharpens the axe when you chop down the trees. It sharpens your ministry because the Lord is magnified as you're, de- you're denied. God is, is supplied. And then he's magnified. All those rhymes. I came up with that right now. <laughs> and you magnify the Lord and we exalt him. We start to realize, God, you are so good. You're faithful. Listen, nobody hates fasting more than me. Nobody loves food more than me. I get the struggle. But I learned this week in Psalm 34 when David said, taste and see that the Lord is good. When you don't have anything to eat but water, I just got news for you. The Lord tastes really good. His word is sweet. It's satisfying. It's sustaining and powerful in ways I never thought possible. I share this with you because as we see this threefold cord of giving, praying, and fasting, one more thing I wanted to add, especially about tonight when we we come into our time of prayer. And that's why I asked you if you have anyone who's in bondage, anyone who's struggling. Think about coming tonight. You may not be fasting, but there's a number of folks who are, and we're here to be with you and intercede on behalf of your request. And here's why I say it's important. This is out of Matthew 17. And this is the passage that the Lord called me into this fast to be a part of. This was the very first passage he spoke to me. It says, when they had come to the multitude, meaning Jesus and the three disciples off the Mount of Transfiguration, a man came to him kneeling down and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is possessed and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. Everyone say faith. Because of your lack of faith, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. We just read about Elijah. Three years and six months, it didn't rain because he prayed. But Jesus uses this word in verse 21, however. Everyone say however. however. Even with faith and even with praying, however. Jesus said this, However. This kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Fasting targets the wayward child. You want a bullseye on him? Fill out a prayer request. Come tonight. I'm ready. I'm not going to eat until after the prayer service. I want to be a part of this with you. I'm sick of addiction in the lives of our children. I want to see God's hand move. 30, 60, 100 fold return. We're Christians. 
The mark of our maturity is our giving, our praying, and our fasting. That's how we magnify the Lord. He becomes bigger. Our problems become smaller. And the Lord begins to move in and through our lives. I, I share all that because as we come to James chapter 5, I think of a number of folks in the fellowship. The phone rings. The doctor says, the test results are back. And you're talking to your primary care physician. I remember my mom getting the call from Dr. Kelly. There's a spot on your lung. That was in July. She was dead by August. It's everyone's worst nightmare. I mean, if I were to ask you to take out your cell phones, you have speed dial, don't you? You got people that are important in your life? Yeah? Or am I the only one? You call them when there's a need, yeah? You find out you have cancer. Doctor says a sentence that you prayed you'd never hear. What do you do? Who do you call? Got your phone in your hand? Do you call another doctor for a second opinion? Do you call your spouse for some moral support? I imagine they're already there with you. Or is your first call to the elders of the church? Or better yet, is your first call... To God. You see, when someone calls you, you answer the call. And a conversation occurs when you talk back. Caller, calling, caller, calling, over. And that's what James chapter 5 points out. It's, it, I ask you to repeat a word in this passage of Scripture. I, I ask you to say that this idea that the prayer of faith will save the sick. Faith. I asked you to repeat faith, didn't I? The prayer of faith will save the sick. What is faith? Faith. What is a prayer of faith? Faith is a faith-filled contact. Why are you calling another doctor? Do you have faith in them? Why are you calling your spouse? Do you think they care? Why are you calling your friend? Do you have belief that they can help you? When you're in a financial you know, difficulty, who are you calling? Do you think they can help you? You have faith that the person on the other end of the line is going to help you. It's a faith-filled contact. Every relationship in life is built on faith. It's a faith-filled relationship. And the reality of this passage is, it doesn't say that the elders ought to propose the possibility. It doesn't say that the pastor should suggest something. It says... That you, you pray, you call, you forgive, you confess. This is about you. You can't be sick and said, no one's called me. That's not their fault. Those are relationships you build. The Lord will always answer. It's a faith-filled contact that you know at the other end of your call, there's someone there who can help you. And when we go through these things, we, we need to realize that. You'd be believing in the Lord if you called him when you were sick. It'd be a faith-filled request. 
Thus, it would be a faith-filled contact. You go and you talk to the Lord. I was thinking also, in addition to James chapter 5, Hebrews 11, I quoted that when we prayed earlier, but without faith, it's verse 6 of Hebrews 11, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God, for he, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. You've got to have faith that he's God. There's two rules in the universe. There's a God, and you're not him. And not only that he is, but that he's a rewarder. Listen, that he is a rewarder. Listen, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You see it? The reason for faith, one word, relationship with the living God. God wants you to have a relationship with him. Because faith is expressed in every meaningful relationship. I mean, do you have a marriage? It's by faith. Do you have a job? Oh, there's faith involved in that. I mean, you don't work two weeks. They don't pay you and then you work two weeks. You work two weeks, then they pay you. And you have faith they're going to pay you. Hello? Marriage. I'm married. Some of you go, no, you aren't. I don't see your wife. No, she, yeah. She's actually here. I don't know which one is she. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> I don't believe you. I don't believe that. I, I believe. Uh, how do you know she's here? Let's just say she's not. How do you know she's here? By faith, I I know she's my wife. Well, where is she? She's at home. By faith, that's where she is. That's what she does on Sunday mornings. How do you know that that she didn't drop the kids off at the babysitter and she's cruising Knoxnard Boulevard right now? (laughs) Serious? Because by faith, I know my wife. I have, listen, I have a relationship with her. And I know I can call on her. God points out this in the passage of Scripture that we are to trust the Lord in every circumstance, in every relationship, but more importantly in our relationship with Him. I was thinking about this idea of of giving, praying, and fasting. Why would you give to somebody you can't see? That's why you guys struggle. You don't want to return to the Lord. There are things I see I could buy with this. Why would I return this to God? It's a lack of faith. Even when he promises you that he can't outgive him, you still don't take him up on it. Why would you pray to somebody who's not there? My words are just echoing off the walls. Certainly, why would you deny yourself food and, and shut down King's stomach for the sake of a God you can't see? Because it's a relationship. That's the mark of maturity of a believer. And the more you do that, God is magnified. And you see him. You begin to watch him answer prayers. You say, show me and I'll believe. And God says, believe and I'll show you. And then he starts to show you. You're blown away. You can move mountains when you're tuned in. You can break strongholds in the lives of your children when you're tuned in. You can cause it to not rain for three years and six months when you're tuned in. You can change your community when you're tuned in. And the idea is it has to be the primacy of that relationship, that God is primary over everything else. Yes, yes, I have no ministry until I have a ministry to my wife. But quite frankly, I have nothing without my primary relationship with God. 
Last week when we were taking a look at the passage, and I'll close with this idea. Last week when we were taking a look at the passage of Scripture, I I shared with you the Catholic distortion uh, of dualism when it comes to uh, the spiritual world and, and the physical world or the idea of a spiritual world and a secular world. That, that Catholics would, would give honor to those who were in quote-unquote full-time ministry as, as they had the, the Vita con- contemplative life as opposed to the Vita active life. And the contemplative life is where they would find themselves in a monastery seeking the Lord, and that was a high and noble calling, and that's the pursuit that we were to have. And that we would look at the Vita active as a secondary life, not as precious. But in, and we saw that this is a distortion of what God intended, because as we learned last week, everything we do is under the Lord. So whether you're a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker, you are, your work is holy, is under the Lord. Your, your airplane's launching off the carrier, and, and I'm, I, have, I, I am the least in God's eyes. God takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. He put me in this pulpit because I can't do what you do. I have to be surrounded in a fishbowl that says that my life is more strictly judged. I am the biggest loser in this room. Some of you go, Pastor, don't say that. I'm telling you the truth. And I I marvel week in and week out when you land your planes on this carrier. My great privilege is to refuel you and resupply you with ammunition and launch you into that world. In that holy and noble calling to push back the gates of hell. Everything you do is noble and holy in its calling. But there is a distortion that comes, not just the Catholic distortion of dualism that we, we aspire to the spiritual more than the physical or I, I would say the secular. There's the Protestant distortion. It was Martin Luther who had it right when he said, we answer the call when through faith we serve God in our work. Through faith we serve God in our work. So we see our work as a calling from God. But John Calvin distorted it. He meant well, but it went south quickly. He said, our calling equates to our work. They're one and the same thing. Problem. That started to manifest itself in the Protestant world. Eventually the day came when faith and calling were separated completely. The result was that guidelines for calling shifted. Instead of being directed by the commands of God, they were seen as directed by duties and roles in society. Our vocations became our calling. And then, slowly but surely, secondary calling swallowed up the primary calling of the caller. Thus was coined the term, listen, Protestant work ethic. And we're hard workers, the American work ethic. Doggone it. (laughs) Calvin Coolidge said, The man who builds a factory builds a temple. And the man that works there worships there. Henry Ford said, Work is the salvation of the human race, morally, physically, and socially. I didn't hear God in any of that. Did you? Just checking. See, at this point, our calling became secular. And as we look at this passage in James 5... We see the the solution to this Protestant distortion. The distortion that our calling became secular because 
the vocation became the calling and we stopped listening to the caller. And so in James 5, we have the solution to this, this Protestant distortion. And there's two things that the, the passage gives us. One is, we learn in the passage of Scripture to debunk the notion that there can be a calling without a caller. There's no calling without a caller. Nobody's on the other line. You're wasting your time. You can't find, you can't find your identity in your work. When my dad walks people through the house before he was in the, the Alzheimer's home and he was inundated with Alzheimer's on the left side of the wall where the pictures on the family on the right side of the wall were all his accomplishments in the workplace. Navy captain, city councilman, president of the Rotary, senior vice president of Great American Savings and Loan, on and on and on and on and on down the line. And when he'd take you for the tour of the house, he'd walk you upstairs in the throes of Alzheimer's and he would never show you the right side of the wall, only the left. This is my family. You see, a calling is to be given for others. Nobody in the Navy calls my dad anymore. City Council doesn't remember his name and neither does a rotary. And they don't visit him in the home. You can't have a calling without a caller. And the second thing we learn from the passage is the restoring of the primacy of our primary calling. You see, I love what Oswald Chambers says. He says, beware of anything that competes with Loyalty to Jesus Christ. The greatest competitor of devotion to Jesus is service for him. The one aim of the call of God is the satisfaction of God, not a call to do something for him. Do we enjoy our work, love our work, virtually worship our work so that our devotion to Jesus is off center? Do we put our emphasis on service or usefulness or being productive and working for God at his expense? Do we strive to prove our own significance, to make a difference in the world, to carve our names in marble on the monuments of time? We are not primarily called to do something or go somewhere. We are called to someone, and that's the Lord. The secret or the key to properly answering the call of your life is to be devoted to no one and to nothing above God himself be absolutely his God normally calls us along the lines of our giftedness right I hope so some of you have wonderful gifts God calls us along the lines of our giftedness but the purpose of giftedness is stewardship giving stewardship and service not selfishness bloated fat gold corroded when we have heightened awareness of our giftedness our giftedness tends to lead us towards selfishness rather than the stewardship and service. We love to make it about us. We're so good at that. Let me share with you something. Giftedness is not calling. You may be an amazing musician. You may be gifted. But you are not called by your giftedness. You know why? We watch as these musicians get so good in the body of Christ that they start to elevate themselves and they've got the record deals. And, and I, I make fun of them. But the reality is 
gifts are never really for ourselves. We have nothing that was given to us that doesn't belong to God. It's all His. Our gifts belong to God, and we are only stewards responsible for their management. That is why our gifts are always for others. Christians give, and they pray, and they fast. Calling insists that the answer lies in God's knowledge of what He has created us to be and where He's calling us to go. Adam and Eve were in a paradise. And King's stomach put him in a wilderness. Their bellies kicked him out of the Garden of Eden because it was all about them. Jesus found himself in a wilderness that we had created. And he went in with 40 days of fasting to deliver us. And the very first temptation that Satan gave him is he said, If you are the Son of God, turn these stones to bread. If it was me, I would have done it like that. 40 days? I'm seven in. I would have eaten them. He's 40 days into this. He's on the verge of death. And Satan says, turn the stones to bread. You know you can do it. And Jesus says, man will not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What does that mean to us? It means this. Is anyone among you suffering? Call God. Is anyone cheerful? Praise God. Is anyone among you sick? Call the elders of the church. Recognize God's authority. He'll anoint you with oil, which is a representation of the Lord. He's in the center of all of it. And the prayer of faith, faith, a relationship with God, will heal him. And the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. But we have to confess our trespasses. Confess your trespasses to one another. Build a community where we trust one another in relationship. Because the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Effective, fervent prayer. Effective, fervent. Pray without ceasing. Pick up the phone. Don't call anyone else till you've called the Lord. Is what you're doing really worth doing if you can do it apart from prayer? The way to avoid your life being empty and void of purpose and shallow, going to work day in and day out and accomplishing nothing, the way to avoid that is make your primary call in life to be connected to the caller. God will be everything to you and your life will be full. And that's done by relationship of faith. That's why God calls you to return to him. Give. That's why he calls you to pray. That's why he calls you to fast. You don't do that with someone who's not there. Right? And so when Jesus faced the devil, he said, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You know what he said? I don't need the world's food. I'm here to do the Father's will. He's the caller. I'll do whatever he wants, when he wants, and how he wants, and that's all there is to it. Because that's the mark of a mature believer, giving, praying, fasting. And Jesus was, all pistons were firing. 
Because as soon as he left the temptation in the wilderness, it said that he went out in the power of the Holy Spirit and started to open up a can of Jesus and move the mountains. And the world was changed. But when he said, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You know, he was saying that. And what's amazing about Jesus, it says in John 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt with man. Jesus was the word. So when he was up in the upper room and he said, this is my body broken for you, and this is my blood shed for you for the remission of your sins, the fervent, praying without season, the fervent faithful prayers of a righteous man or woman accomplish great things. We come to this table by faith. Now you come with your sins as scarlet. And by faith, the righteousness of Christ, the word of God is imputed and put to your account that you're washed as white as snow and your sins are cast as far as the east is from the west. So then the power of God, he has delivered you from the wilderness of selfishness into a world of service. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. His body was broken. His blood was shed. He is the word of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. David got it. And I think we got it too. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this calling to the caller. We don't speed dial anyone but you. That we would spend our days asking the caller what he desires so that the calling would be noble, the calling would be holy. We don't worship the calling over the caller. We don't elevate the spiritual over the secular. Lord, there's a balance. You've given us giftedness, but that giftedness is only effective when it's submitted to your will. Lord Jesus, you said, I can of my own self do nothing. Why would we think we could do anything beside that? Lord Jesus, you even said in Hebrews, Lo, it is written on me in the volume of the book, I've come to do the will of the Father, the caller. And so, Lord, today we recognize we want to give, we want to pray, and we want to fast. Not for our own sake, but out of a relationship of faith that, God, we would use this giftedness to the service of others, that that these young people that are just oppressed by demonic realm, the struggles in our community, the suffering, the heartache, the absence of praise, that, Lord, we can be like Elijah and pray earnestly and watch everything change. Lord, may we be wholly dependent upon you. We don't want to wander from the truth. But if anyone does, we have that great joy of turning them back and watch as they're delivered from death unto life as we we saw in Matthew 17 with that young man. Lord, I pray that you would pour your spirit out upon this fellowship. That from this day forward, we are not nominal Christians. We don't look at Christianity as a segment of our life. Lord, our relationship with you is developed that we are wholly dependent upon the caller. It's a relationship of faith. Lord, make this fellowship a giving fellowship. Make this fellowship a praying fellowship. And Lord, make this fellowship a fasting fellowship. 
that threefold cord not easily broken in this community will be blessed as we deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow you. We come this morning to the table to receive and we go to give. We ask your blessing on this time of communion and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The ushers will dismiss you by row. You just come down the side aisles. You'll get the cup. You'll get the bread. We have gluten.